Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, through the prophet Malachi, uh, the Lord takes stock of his relationship with his people Israel. Yes, Israel was back in the land after the exile. That was great, but many things had gone wrong since that time. And the Lord wanted to get his relationship with Israel back on the right track. Now, two weeks ago, we looked at the opening verses of Malachi, and right at the beginning of this prophecy, the Lord, again, he establishes the reality of his love for Israel. Israel had questioned God's love, but the Lord affirmed it. Now that his love was established, Yahweh moved on to address specific problems within Israel. And this order is important. The love of God comes first. And as the Lord declares in Scripture, He rebukes those whom He loves, and He disciplines everyone whom He accepts as a son. So as the Lord rebukes Israel for certain things, He's doing it as a father, uh, reprimanding His children. He's doing it in love. They need correction. And here in our text, God addresses Israel's defiled worship. Their polluted worship arose from a failure to properly understand who the Lord is. They did not truly know the Lord. And when someone does not know the Lord, more sin is sure to follow. The Lord begins in verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? You see, the Lord Yahweh, he was both of these things to his people Israel. He had adopted Israel to be his child. He was also their majestic king. But Israel failed to acknowledge God this way. Well, if earthly children honor their parents, their father, if earthly servants show deep respect to their masters, how much more so should you, Israel, show me a love, honor, a reverence, and, and respect? Israel's failure to recognize God properly revealed itself in defiled worship. Our text says they presented to God a polluted offerings. Rather than offering sacrifices without blemish, as God required in the law, they instead offered animals that were blind or, or lame or sick, the worst of the worst. And by their defiled offerings, Israel was showing contempt for God. See, what was was the purpose of those sacrifices at the temple? Well, the purpose was mainly twofold. First of all, the sacrifices displayed God's forgiveness of sin and the people's need for the forgiveness of sins. It's not that these animal sacrifices themselves paid for sin, but God used them to move his people to repentance and faith 
seeking forgiveness through the blood of a sacrifice. They needed their sins forgiven through a perfect sacrifice in order to draw near to God. And the Lord was so clear about that in his law. The second purpose was this. The sacrifices also displayed God's close fellowship with his people Israel. Some of the offerings were thank offerings or food offerings offered to Yahweh at the temple. Of course, it's not that God was hungry in any way and needed physical food, not at all. But they reminded Israel that God lived in their midst and that he wanted fellowship with his people. But here was Israel offering these defiled offerings to the Lord. It showed a completely wrong attitude in their worship to God. There's no recognition of God's love and his grace. There's no recognition of his holiness and majesty. They offered to God the sacrifices of Cain. All these offerings are a pain. Just let me get my religious duty over and done with and I can get on living my life. But what an insult to the Lord. As God told them in our text, bring this kind of sacrifice to your governor to gain his favor. Do you think he's going to be pleased with this? Of course not. Well, how much more so is this true with Almighty God? You know, think about this in, in terms of modern day examples. Imagine you are the guest of honor at someone's house, and the host says they are really happy to have you over for dinner. But when dinner comes, what do they offer you for food? Uh, Rotten potatoes, uh, sour milk, and scraps they took out of the garbage can. Well, what kind of response are you going to have? This is how they treat an honored guest? This This is an insult. I guess they don't want me coming around here ever again. Or what about this? Imagine a husband messes up at home and does something he knows made his wife unhappy. And in in order to make it up to her and to show he is sorry, he decides to buy his wife some flowers. When the time comes to give the flowers, he says, Here, honey, I'm very sorry for what I did. I bought you some dead flowers. I could have bought you some nice roses, but I'd rather save the money so that I can go to the football game with the guys next week. If that were to ever happen, pretty sure the wife would not receive that very well. The husband certainly isn't showing that he's sorry for what he did. But this is how Israel treated the Lord. Their sacrifices showed they didn't think much of God. They also didn't think too much of their sin either or their need for forgiveness through a perfect sacrifice. They also didn't seem to care too much about fellowship with their Father and Almighty King. And giving these uh, polluted gifts, Israel greatly dishonored the Lord. What kind of message does this send to people who don't know God? It sends a message that God is not very great. And that sin is no big deal. And so God's name would be blasphemed among the nations by this. 
And that, in turn, led God to make the prophecy we find in verse 11. There the Lord says, From the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered in my name and a pure offering. The Lord is saying if Israel is not going to offer him true worship, the Lord would turn to the nations, and they would give him the worship he desired. And we see this uh, early on, right at, at the beginning at uh, the birth of Christ. What happened when Christ was born? A magi from the east came to seek the newborn Christ, the king. And when they found the Lord Jesus, what did they do? They, they fell down and they worshipped him. And they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, gifts fitting for the newborn king. <clears throat> and of course, this prophecy of God continued to be fulfilled throughout the earth, and it continues to be fulfilled. In fact, it can be fulfilled by us as we offer to God true worship. But here's the question we need to ask ourselves. Are we, as God's people, God's covenant people in the new covenant, are we offering God this true worship? Or are we following in the footsteps of Israel? Do you know the Lord? Do you recognize that He is your Father in Jesus Christ? That out of sheer grace and love, He made you a part of His own family? And that as His child, we can and should every day honor and praise Him as our Heavenly Father? And do you also recognize that God is an almighty King, full of majesty and holiness. And that as Hebrews 12 teaches us, we are to worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And whether or not we do know the Lord will reveal itself in our acts of worship. And take only the celebration of the Lord's Supper this morning. Do you understand what's going on here? <clears throat> the Lord's Supper also, likewise, sends a twofold message about the forgiveness of sins and fellowship with God. Regarding our sin, the Lord's Supper declares this message that God could not leave sin unpunished. This is the price for sin, the shedding of blood. The wages of sin is death. Our sin was so great that it required the death of God's beloved Son in our place. But the wonderful news is that the Lord Himself provided this perfect sacrifice in those sacrifices at the temple in the Old Testament. Israel brought forward those animals without blemish, but the Lord God has given the perfect sacrifice, His Son, so that we might be forgiven. And regarding fellowship, the Lord's Supper declares this message. Almighty God desires close union and communion with us, God's people. 
And look how far he was willing to go to, to have fellowship with you. God so desires this, that the second person of the Trinity, God's Son, was willing to be made man. And as we partake of this bread and wine, Christ is truly present in an even closer way than he was present among Israel at the Old Testament temple. He's with us by his Spirit. And do we recognize that? Is there a recognition that God is your Father in Jesus Christ? Do you thank him for his love, the deep thankfulness? And as you celebrate here today, let, let that, that truth cause you to celebrate with deep gratitude to God that he has become your Father in Jesus Christ. Here we have a sign and seal of God's fatherly love in Jesus. Or do we perhaps scorn that, that fact and just view worship as a drag? Something to get over and done with so that we can get on with our regular lives. And does the way we partake of this supper show that we recognize God as an almighty king full of majesty and glory? Do you show him the fear and reverence to his name by also turning from evil? Or do you embrace sin on Friday night and Saturday night, thinking it's no big deal, and then coming to the Lord's Supper, assuming that God doesn't care or doesn't notice, just like the attitude of Israel here in Malachi 1? Beloved, let us recognize who God truly is. He is almighty and holy God. Let us turn from sin, but also turn to Christ's perfect sacrifice offered in our place. It's through that sacrifice that God has become our Father, our loving Father. It's through that sacrifice that our sins are forgiven. Let us rejoice in Him and give Him the glory that's due His name. Amen. Let us respond to the preaching of God's word by further um, proclaiming the majesty of God's kingship by singing Psalm 99, stanzas 1, 2, and 3.